What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 111 of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining me today is Adam Pollack, who is rejoining me after we did episode 104 on imposter syndrome, deserving complex, and friendship by popular demand here for a part two episode. Welcome back to the show, Adam Pollack. Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice of you. How's it going, man? Good, Long time to no see. Yeah, right? Well, here's the thing. Before we get into imposter syndrome today, I have gotten so much feedback on that particular episode. Why do you think so many people clicked on that one in the feed? And I've been getting feedback on that topic that you came up with. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think, you know, the term imposter syndrome has been buzzing around and, you know, major publications um, for the past couple years. And I think it's been exacerbated by, uh, you know, the pandemic, COVID. Um, you know, a lot of people are feeling um, many type of ways towards work and life, you know, but, you know, imposter syndrome, more geared towards the workplace. I think people are experiencing a lot of different things that they've never felt before or are feeling much more, you know, strength in how they're feeling um, with what's going on being all virtual um, in a virtual environment, not being in person, not actually that's seeing a, yeah. someone in front of you. That's um, a really good point yeah. about how imposter syndrome plays in with the Zoom world that most people are working in professionally right now. Yeah. Because just to remind people, imposter syndrome, also known as perceived fraudulence, it involves feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence, despite your education, experience, or accomplishments. And so what better way to feel insignificant and underutilized or like an imposter than when you're not able to shine in an in-person setting, really living out who you're supposed to be with other people? Right. It's like you have like a really great meeting on Zoom and everything went well and you hit that end button and then it's kind of silence and you go and pet your cat. Like, how do you, <laughs> you know, right? Like, it's like, how do you know what to feel? How do you know what your audience, what they perceived of you in that meeting? I think you thought it went well, um, but how do you know uh, what they're thinking if, you know, once you hit end, it's kind of just nothingness. It's into the void. Um, so, yeah, I think the the virtual world is, is really playing into a lot of people's perception of imposter syndrome and really, um, you know, making that come to the surface. Totally. One of the other things I know we've talked about before, and I can't remember if I've covered this in past episodes, is not being where you thought you'd be right now in life. 
And I keep hearing that come up with different people. And I'm curious, you know, how that's impacted you. I can certainly talk about it for myself about, I remember when we were at Cornell together, 21 years old, both about to head to find working in finance. I just assumed I would work in wall street. I would get all the promotions. I'd be a managing director and an investment banking job. And I would be happily married with at least two kids and have that picture perfect lifestyle. And man, did I not know what was coming to me in terms of <laughs> life experience and challenges and opportunities to grow and be overcome. And, you know, how would you define that? And how has that shown up for you too? Let's kind of unpack that personally for us and then share some suggestions with listeners, you know, maybe feeling like underperforming in life or lagging behind others or lagging behind where we're supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, totally. I think, you know, for me, imposter syndrome hit me very hard immediately as I entered the workforce. So for you and I, um, for those of you that don't know, Brendan and I went to college together. We were fraternity brothers. We were in the same major, uh, took pretty much all the same classes and kind of had the same trajectory coming out of college. And um, when we graduated, that was the height of the financial crisis. So what was going on then was a lot of firms were either halting hiring altogether or they were deferring candidates into the next year. Um, it was extremely, extremely difficult to land any sort of job um, out of school at that time. This was 2009, 2010. Um, and, you know, it, it hit me right away when, you know, going into these very competitive um, interview sets with all these different companies, comparing yourself against all these extremely smart students, whether they're, you know, definitely smart, you know, altogether or just on paper or however you want to term it, it was very, very, very difficult to compare yourself and say, okay, this kid has a 4.0. He came into, you know, college with a 1590 on his SATs. Um, how can I possibly stack up against this person when I'm not even close to that level of book smart or, um, you know, all these other different factors. Um, and, you know, my, my imposter syndrome really started when I was able, thankfully, to land a job out of college when a lot of people at that time did not. People that were, you know, way better candidates on paper than I was. Um, and, you know, I always thought that I just got that job out of pure dumb luck. Like, you know, the person interviewing me was having a great day and we clicked and, you know, the super day went extremely well and, and in a different circumstance that might have not have happened. So that imposter syndrome hit me really hard, really fast. And, you know, as I sat there and compared myself to people that, you know, didn't get the same opportunity that I did right out of college, they, you know, had a later start, maybe a year or two later. Um, that's when it really hit me that, you know, I have to outperform all these people, even though I think they're better than I am. Um, so that's really where it all started for me. That's so familiar for me when I I was one of those people that didn't get one of those jobs that you got at UBS. And 
I went to grad school. So I went straight into Cornell's JD MBA program. And I remember interviewing. So my, I did the law and business program. And when people read my bio, they see that I worked at this law firm Cravath and they have no idea how much of imposter syndrome I had. I had no reason to believe it would ever be possible for me to get a job working at that big law firm. And it was because I had a B minus in civil procedure. I remember my second semester, I had other B pluses and other, you know, not so great grades. And Cravath was the number two law firm in the world. And I said, oh, there's no chance I would get a job there. So I didn't even bother applying for an interview. And then I get, then there's this wait list that comes up at the job fair for the law firms. And there was a waitlist spot for Cravath. So I just clicked on it and I happened to get it the morning of, and I go in and I do the interview and I'm hitting it off with this woman. It was very behavioral and qualitative. And then she looks at my transcript and she goes, your grades are fine. Whoa, what happened in CivPro? <laughs> and I was laughing and I tried to just totally gloss over it. And I said, well, you know, uh, I was so busy applying for business school and doing the JD MBA and da, 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 da. And she bought it and pushed me through to the final round interviews. And then I'm in these final round interviews and I'm thinking the same thing. I get to the super day and it's all Harvard undergrad, Harvard law, 4.0, all like this. But what I realized was I think everyone in the room was kind of looking at everyone else, thinking everyone else is better than them. Yeah. And cause I thought I was the only one like, Oh, I kind of backdoored into Cornell law, got in last second. My dad went there. Uh, backdooring in with the grades, you know, had mixed grades, especially in that civ pro class. And, you know, the, the funny thing is you get there and then you realize everyone on some level has imposter syndrome. And then the other thing you realize is once you get there, you realize how much you're worth it and how worthy you are of that role because so much of succeeding there is about having good attitude and working hard. And I think a lot of people have imposter syndrome because they think they need to be, first of all, perfect, which no one is. But second of all, some insane raw talent. Like I just have to be born, no studying, take the SATs, get a 1600, no issues, do this. And I found that when you work hard and you have that dedication and belief in yourself, which can come from saying, if I work hard and do what's asked of me, I don't, I'm not an imposter. That was really helpful too. But yeah, my experience at Cravath definitely was this imposter syndrome because I felt like I really backdoored my way in. And then I got there and then not that I should think I'm better than other people, but I felt like just as smart and just as qualified and maybe even more qualified than the other people. And so maybe imposter syndrome also comes from thinking about the wrong metrics. Like maybe you thought you didn't belong at an investment bank right out of college because of certain grades you had. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to name any names, corporate <laughs> finance, <laughs> but you know, maybe you thought, Oh, I don't deserve it. Cause I, my SAT score or my grade, but how much of a reflection of that is how correlated to the job you did by being on time, hardworking, a good personality, et cetera. Right. And like what, what I think is very interesting about imposter syndrome is that it seems to affect high achievers in greater numbers than it does anyone else. So if you're a high achiever and you know, you've you've had a lot of success those are the types of people that imposter syndrome really affects the most 
which I find, you know, extremely interesting. You would think, you know, someone successful doing great things, has a great job, is, is you know, making a real, you know, good life for themselves. You would think that those people would be very secure and very confident in their job and their life and, and you know, what their trajectory is. But in reality, it's those people that are the most kind of introspective about, you know, comparing themselves to others and feeling like they're a fraud and feeling like all of their accomplishments are kind of born out of dumb luck or, you know, someone handed it to you, you were in the right place at the right time. Um, I, I think that's something super interesting about imposter syndrome and something I didn't even think about until I looked like more into it. I've always, you know, felt imposter syndrome. I've been dealing with it, you know, my entire adult life pretty much. Um, but, um, I found that really interesting when I, you know, looked more into it. Yeah. I read that perfectionists, for example, set these really unrealistic high goals for themselves. And then inevitably they fail to achieve those goals. And then they feel more self-doubt and they feel worse about themselves, which then contributes to feeling more of an imposter and feeling less successful or less worthy. And so one of the things to consider if you're dealing with imposter syndrome is not being so hard on yourself and not being such a perfectionist where you put this pressure on yourself to constantly be achieving unrealistic goals and then letting yourself down and then feeling badly about it after. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say to someone to just be content in where you are and be happy with what you've achieved and understand that nobody handed anything to you. You put in the hard work to get to where you are. It's, it's one thing to say that, and it's one thing to actually do it in, in, in practice. And I think that's what a lot of people have a really hard time with um, because there's always another goal. There's always another project that you have to ace or you have to do better than somebody else and compare yourself against somebody else, whether it's, you know, um, getting a client from somebody else or, um, you know, knocking this project out of the park to win business or, you know, anything under the sun. It doesn't have to be finance or business related, um, any type of work. It, it, there's always that comparison and there's always that next goal, that next achievement, that next proce uh, project that you're going to have some apprehension towards. Um, so I think the, the, the more you get in front of it and you kind of go to the foundation of why you're feeling that way, the better it's going to be as you tackle that new goal, that new project, et cetera. Yeah. I was also reading, there's this type of person called the soloist who is someone who doesn't ask for help from others because doing so would reveal their phoniness. And that's actually another thing that I've dealt with a lot is I like to keep things very simple and I like to understand everything. And I find that when you ask some of these really basic questions, and you get really clear so I can understand it so well and then to be able to explain it to someone else, including a five-year-old, then I really master something. And there's this thing with imposter syndrome where you come into a new class or program or job and then the teacher or the leader or the client starts using some fancy terminology that nobody else is familiar with, which by the way, if you're using some acronym with people who don't, under, don't understand it. That's like speaking another language. And anyway, 
I could go on a tangent about that. The point is, I sometimes with my imposter syndrome will not ask the dumb question that everyone's wondering. And now I do that. I'm in this mastermind right now. And this guy comes in and he's using this term. And I have no idea what it means. And I'm just asking, what is that? What is that? And sometimes people can laugh at you for that. Other times they won't. But having the courage and the bravery to just say, I don't know this. I don't care if I'm, if you think I'm the dumbest person in the world and it's the stupidest question that I could ever possibly ask, I'm going to walk away from that question with an answer. And I will then know it in one second. And you can judge me and you can think whatever you want. So maybe part of imposter syndrome too is not caring what other people think about you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an awesome point. And I know for me, um, when I'm putting a team together for a new project, right? The f- one of the first things I say to the team is there are absolutely no stupid questions whatsoever. You can think it's the dumbest, stupidest question possible. Ask it. Just don't ask it twice. <laughs> right. That's what I always say. Yeah. But, um, you know, to, to, to your point, I mean, it's, you have to. And I think, um, I know in interviews, you know, when I'm interviewing someone, I like to have people, I, the question I ask is explain to me this concept as if you're explaining it to your grandma, right? Yeah. Because if you can explain it to your grandma, that tells me that you really understand the concept. If you're using these fancy buzzwords, I can call you out on every one of those buzzwords and I can damn sure promise you that I'm going to catch you in a lie on one of those. Right. So that's the thing too, is I'm going to go out and say, there are some people who actually are imposters and deserve to be called that. (laughs) I would say 99.9% of our listeners, you are not an imposter. I acknowledge your imposter syndrome. We're going to work that out together. But I think there are legitimate imposters who are these people who pretend like they know stuff to try to seem or sound whatever. But if you actually drill them down and say, Hey, Uh, It sounds like you know this so well that you're using all this fancy terminology, but can you actually just very simply explain it to me because I'm totally unfamiliar with it? And then they can't. You've actually caught them in that, yeah, being fake. Hey, I've I've been there. I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect by any means. I I remember bombing one interview so badly about eight years ago, doing that exact same thing. I try I tried to be fancy. I try to be. I, I try to make it seem like, hey, you know, I'm the know-it-all whiz kid. I threw out some crazy finance buzzword term <laughs> derivative equity instrument, right? And then they and, like, and they drilled down. They drilled. Oh down. yeah, they were like, oh, so um, can you can you tell me what that is? And I froze. I mean, I kind of knew what it was, right? And I was like, um, well, um, uh, 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 and I was just stumbling through this answer and I bombed it. Um, so yeah, I've been there. I've been there. So the, yeah. the more you can dumb it down, the more you can simplify, um, the better in those situations. Totally. One other thing that I'll say, because imposter syndrome can happen at different levels, So you can be a big fish in a small pond and then not feel like an imposter and then go and up level and then be in a new program or group or surrounded by a next level of individuals just from a success or accomplishment standpoint, and then feel like a total imposter. And that's something that I've had happen lately 
which is I'm a coach and I'm working with all these people and I'm helping them get to the next level and to accomplish certain business successes that I've already had. And so then I feel obviously not like an imposter until I join a new co coaching program for me, a mastermind for me to up level. And now I come into this room and I feel like a total nobody because these people are all at a certain level where they're making 200, $300,000 a month. Uh, some people are in the program making a million dollars per month or more, multiple million per month. And obviously they're running companies and have a lot of employees at this stage. And when I first joined, I felt like such an imposter. Like, who <laughs> I, am I even big enough to be in this program? What a fraud I am. And then what I learned was over time by seeing the quality of these people, the questions they were asking, their intelligence and whatnot, I started to say, oh, okay, like I can absolutely do this too. They've been doing it for longer. They've put more hours into it. They've prioritized this more when I wasn't prioritizing working on my business, which isn't a bad thing. I was prioritizing a lot of my personal life and personal development. But that's the other thing I would encourage people to do is when they do feel like an imposter, care less about their resume and actually look at them as people. Look at how they think and their intelligence and their work ethic and their drive and ask yourself, are you capable of doing those things too? And because the answer is most likely yes, in which case it's usually a timing thing. And it's yeah. not like they're better than you. They're just maybe further along than you are. Isn't it amazing how as long as you believe in yourself and believe in your knowledge and your skills and your know-how, how much you can surprise yourself when you actually just turn that doorknob. I always say, just turn that doorknob, right? You don't, you, you're scared about what's behind that door. You know, it's going to be scary. You know, you're going to be in unfamiliar territory out of your comfort zone. But as long as you turn that doorknob, right? It's amazing how much you can surprise yourself. Totally. And one of the quotes that I want to drop right now, Henry Ford, I love it. He said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. And I was just at dinner and there was a guy there who's a musician. And he said, look, I'm not trying to be famous and, you know, be a big star. I just want to make enough money to get by off of this music that I make. And right there, he, whether or not he realizes that he's setting the intention. He'll never be famous. He'll never be a star. And maybe he's, that's what he prefers. But if you preferred to be bigger, you can, again, if you believe in yourself and you think you're capable of doing it. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like your buddy, uh, Joe Rogan says, you got to be the star of your own movie, right? Does he say that? I haven't texted <laughs> with him in a couple of days. I don't know. <laughs> I saw like a YouTube ad or something that he was, uh, I, I forgot what the company was for, but. Why do you think Joe, Ro I'm just curious. I like the guy. I've listened to some of his episodes, although I don't have 12 hours to listen to Joe Rogan <laughs> episodes, but why do you think that guy's got the number one podcast? Jeez, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I think he he is like the he's one of the OGs of the long form interview, um, and I think that's really helped. I think um, being plugged into that whole MMA community. Um, which is really big, you know, I would say, you know, 25% of his guests are, you know, from the, 
MMA, mixed martial arts, fighting kind of world. I think that brings like a huge fan base in there just built in um, to grow on. And, you know, he's, he's a comedian too. So I think that mixed with him, you know, having that long form podcast, he asks, you know, very kind of deep, but not so deep questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I used to like him a lot more than I do now, but. Um, why, why do you like him less? I don't know. I, it's just, it's not, uh. It's not I'd li- like you. I don't have three hours to just sit there and listen to a, a podcast episode anymore. I just it's not my thing. I think he, he got very political um, recently, I think, with the whole when he got covid, um, you know, the whole back and forth with CNN them calling what Ivermectin, what he took uh, a horse dewormer and <laughs> all of that. So I've I don't seen get, that I don't with some other people. No, I've. I forget who I was reading. I was reading, it was one of the top five or 10 podcasts, I want to say. And I always get interested in the reviews on Apple because you can really get a sense of what people are saying about the show and what they think. And it was someone else and the reviews were all saying how they don't like the show anymore because it, it's so political now, it's which I think is interesting because you see it from both sides. You see people who go super left and super right. And, you know, it, you get the complaints in general because I think people... Don't I mean, and obviously there is the Ben Shapiro show and other shows if you want to have a podcast about politics, but yeah, podcasts, sports, athletes, all these non-political arenas are becoming politicized. I think that's- Dude, like my my favorite Joe Rogan episodes from like years ago were like when he had I remember this guy, um, oh, I forget the other guy's name, but one of them's name was uh, Randall Carlson, and he's like an archaeologist. And he had like a four hour podcast just talking about like ancient civilizations, stuff that, you know, Rogan knows nothing about. Right. But he's like super interested in it. And that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah, That's another thing. Like, I I think he did so well because he's interested in so many different things. He doesn't have like a focus on one thing. I know a lot of it's becoming political now, but it never used to be that way. Um, I remember one guy, one, one, one person he had on there, um, was uh, a former cult member that was in a cult, the Moonies, for like 20 some odd years and got out and now helps people get out of cults. I thought that was like extremely interesting. Um, yeah, fascinating that kind of stuff. topic. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting though, because to tie it back to imposter syndrome, if I met Rogan, I'd love to say to him, you know, dude, you're this super famous guy. You, co-anchor on the MMA fight, the UFC fights, and you obviously get a hundred trillion downloads per podcast episode or whatever it is, you know, has, has the thought ever occurred to you? Why me? You know, cause, and, and like how he would respond to that. And I, I, when I had Matthew McConaughey, I asked him that question when he, cause when he won the Oscar for best actor and I forget what he said. I think he said something along the lines of, it's not about who you are as a human. It's because we're all valuable. We're all kind of, at the same level from a human perspective, just our humanity and common worth in the eyes of God or whatever you believe. But he saw his professional recognition, the result of work he put into accomplishing a certain goal, which was to put on a certain performance in a movie and then be recognized for that and say, yeah, I worked my tail off. I honed those skills and I put in the effort and I, and I belong. I, I deserve that result. 
And so it's interesting. I think, again, that it comes back to mindset. And one of the other things that's helped me with imposter syndrome is having really, really, really supportive people in my corner who just build me up in a healthy way, not like, oh, dude, you're perfect. You're God. <laughs> you don't want that. But people who really believe in they see your core gifts for what they are and they really encourage and cheerlead you on that. Because I think a lot of the imposter syndrome is the opposite of having healthy self-esteem and healthy self-confidence. Yeah. No, totally. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of bring up and, and bridge the gap between imposter syndrome and, and, you know, what it can kind of morph into. And I think it's a, a really good topic going into the new year. I think at the end of the year, we all kind of feel like this once the holidays start to set in after a very long year of hard work, um, kind of stressing about a brand new year, you know, hitting the ground running would be the topic of burnout and how that kind of intertwines with imposter syndrome. Um, is that something that you've ever kind of faced in your life? Have you ever oh my God. felt yes. burnout? Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel burnout a lot lately. Yeah. It, so imposter syndrome is this feeling of I don't belong or I'm mm -hmm. not worthy or I'm in this spot and I'm a fraud and I'm about to get exposed. And that's obviously something I've dealt with. But burnout is something I've dealt with at such so much more. Because I think imposter syndrome is about the lack of the self-confidence and the burnout is more about not taking care of yourself. Burnout is an emotional, physical, or mental exhaustion caused by excessive or prolonged stress. You feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demands. And so I think one of the overlaps is when you're constantly riding yourself and super hard on yourself, your perfectionist tendencies can beat your self-esteem down, and then you feel more like an imposter. And But for me, I think it's more like I've always worked too much, too hard, been too striving. And as a result, I've burnt out. And that's for sure. I mean, burnout can, uh, you lose energy. It creates anxiety disorders. It can create physical pain and it can kill you prematurely. Do you think you can be burnt out with have, without having imposter syndrome? Or do you think prolonged mm -hmm. imposter syndrome really like solidifies burnout in, in people? I think you can burn out without imposter syndrome. Look at Michael Jackson when he died. Yeah. He burnt out physically. He was on these medications for a variety of reasons, but I think one of them was pain and the amount of rehearsals he was doing for the next concert he was about to go on. And then he physically had a heart attack and died. Again, I just said burnout can kill you prematurely. So and maybe he, Michael Jackson thought he was an imposter, but I would hope that at that stage, one of the most famous musicians of all time, he would believe in himself enough and be confident to know I'm Michael Jackson. I can crush it. These are my concerts. I deserve all this. And then separately just totally burn out and die. I think that's a, it's a really interesting example because when a lot of people think of burnout, they think of like just work, like I'm burnt out from work. I'm burnt out from my job. I hate my job. I can't handle all this stress. I just, I can't do another task. I just can't do it. Like, I just, I just need to just withdraw from this right now. I can't do it. But there's also like life burnout. There's also um, non-work related burnout, whether it's 
um, you know, burnout being a caregiver for your family, you know, something mm -hmm. that, you know, personally I've been dealing with for the last three months. Um, that's been very difficult. So there's burnout kind of takes all different forms. It's not just work related. I think imposter syndrome is probably mostly geared towards the workplace and your job and kind of your, your position in life economically and kind of in, in a, in a job sense, but burnout, you know, could be take all forms within your life, whether it's, you know, well, your job or your life, right? It's funny you say that. I'm going to say two things in response. One, I'm going to agree. One, I might disagree. So on the agreeing side, when you Google burnout definition, it says it's a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not mm -hmm. been successfully managed. So totally agree with your point because you can absolutely, you can burn out as a father, a husband, obviously in work, but also in your personal life too, like you said, with what you're dealing with. Yeah. Well, I'm I, a, yeah. well I, know, I know you've done a lot of work like on like relationships. Right. And that's, that's a big topic of, you know, a big tie in with burnout also. Right. Totally. Yeah. You can, Oh man, when I see people come to me and they think that they're burned out because of their job, but it's not, they're not burned out because of their job. They're burned out because when they're not on their job, they're over serving in their community and they have three kids and they have a wife and they have a family member staying with them or someone who can't pay rent staying at their house because they're trying to be good and charitable. But that was their guest room that where they would decompress after work. And now you're talking about massive burnout and they think it's because of their job and they're trying to get another job, but it has nothing to do with the job. It's about their home life. So that's where I agree. Where I would disagree is when you say imposter syndrome is primarily with work, I think it, well, if you said primarily, I would say yes. Exclusively, I would say no, because I think you can, again, bring in relationships and be in a relationship with a really beautiful woman who has a lot going for her and a great family and a great personality and all these things. And then you can feel that imposter syndrome in that relationship. Like, why me? Why would she want to be with me and choose me? And I've probably felt more imposter syndrome in relationships than I have in my professional career. I had to pick one. That's it. And it, and it, does it take all the same forms? Like you felt like you're in a relationship with this person out of kind of pure dumb luck. Like you were in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I didn't, it's, it's really I think it's deeper it. than that. It's, it's, yeah. it's more like similar to imposter syndrome in work where it's okay. I'm in for now. But then if they find out who I really am mm. and expose me for that, then I'm screwed. Then I'm going to lose it. And so what people do in when you have imposter syndrome in a relationship is you then hide who you really are because you have this fear that if you're truly found out, you'll be abandoned and left by that person. And so you never really show your true colors and you never really have intimacy. And then as a result, the person will leave you because they don't get the close connection that they crave that everyone wants in a relationship. So, but if you're, if you're always faking who you are in the relationship, that'll cause extreme burnout <laughs> after, after a certain point. Probably. Right? Yeah. 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 I, I appreciate how you're looking for the, the overlaps <laughs> between the two, because yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. So if you are, if your way of coping with imposter syndrome is always putting on a show, always trying to be a certain thing that's not true to who you are, yeah, then it'll probably drain more of your emotional resources and trigger burnout as well. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask you, so when we talk about burnout, what do you think are like the key differences or similarities, but what do you think like the relationship between between burnout and depression is? Are those kind of one and the same or are they like I think burnout completely? I think burnout creates depression. Mm-hmm. I don't think depression can create burn. I think if you're depressed, you're just depressed and I don't think you'll burn out as a result of it. I mean, maybe you will. But I think burnout is a result of excessive stress and a lack of self-care. So I, I think I think burnout, I think the chain of events, if I had to guess, would be that your burnout can trigger depression, right? You're, you're in a spot in your life, you're um, working too much, not taking care of yourself, excessively stressed, you don't have tools to deal with that stress, and all those painful emotions stack inside of you, you don't release them or handle them, and then you become depressed. Because one of the things that I've seen is that um, burnout leads to detachment and anxiety disorders, including depression. So, yeah. and, and again, I think where the imposter syndrome comes in is like, well, I'm an imposter and I'm not good enough, and so I need to do all these things to prove myself and to be good enough, and then you burn out in that process. So imposter syndrome relating to creating burnout, creating depression. And so to solve it is to go to the initial imposter syndrome feeling and learn how to, you know, feel love for yourself and and see your personal worth regardless of your external accomplishments. Because I think a lot of people get burned out trying to prove to the world who they are through material accomplishments that are extremely demanding of us mentally, emotionally, and physically. Yeah. And I guess just taking it back to the workplace, do you think that if you're burnt out from your job, the only option is to quit and find a new job or no, because I think it's more the employee's fault than the job's fault. I mean, look, it depends. You know, if you're, if you're comfortable with who you are as a person and you're in a job and you need the paycheck and or you like the job but then they become excessively demanding over you and you try to set boundaries and it's still not really working then absolutely you can look at the employer or the work environment and say this isn't healthy and that's more the trigger but i would venture to say that more often is the individual feeling a lack of a well-rounded life or a need to prove themselves or whatever their driving factor is to become a martyr or to beat themselves up too much and work too excessively in the workplace, which can create the burnout. I don't know. I'm curious what studies would say if that's been analyzed and there's any data on that. Yeah. But I think the the worker is just as responsible, probably more responsible for your own burnout. I think you should check out, um, do you know who Adam Grant is? Yeah. Yeah. I think he does a lot of like actual scientific studies on burnout and a lot of those same topics. So I don't know. He sounds more like a guy for a Joe Rogan show. (laughs) I don't think so. I think he's like the opposite. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I would, I would love to hear his perspective on that. I've actually talked about some of his concepts on past episodes, but what again, what I think is really interesting is taking ownership of our own burnout because it can always be our employer's fault, or we can always take ownership for the fact that we're there 
And then a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I have to be there. Well, you could go develop other skill sets. You could find another position. You could better yourself and learn how to add more value to different organizations and set yourself up for success. Even start your own business and put your own boundaries in place where you don't burn out. Yeah. But then on the flip side, some people would say, I have burnout because I'm being worked too hard. My hours are ridiculous. I have no work-life balance. How would someone like that be able to learn new skills on the side and better themselves when they're dedicating a hundred percent of their energy to this job that they hate and they're just burnt out from? Well, every person's different. So I don't know who that person is that you're talking about, but I've seen people quit and live with a, you know, a family member for six months and take a program or drive an Uber. And when they're not driving a passenger, listen to an audio tape. Like I know it's hard, but I've sucked it up so many times and rolled up my sleeves and just eaten complete and total deep word for (laughs) so many times that it's, you know, everyone has a reason why it can't work, but there's also always a reason why it can work and you can figure it out. And so it's, it's a total perspective shift from, yes, I'm working this and I have all these responsibilities, but there's always a different way. There's always a better path. It's not going to be easy always, but there's always something better possible. I think. And I guess what would be, what, what would you say to someone who's feeling burnout at the end of 2021 going into this holiday season where they have some time off, right? They have time. They can spend some time with their family, chill for the holidays. But in the back of their mind, they know January 2nd or 3rd, whatever that Monday falls on, is coming up fast and hot. Um, And they're worried about it. And they're worried about starting this whole thing all over again in January. What would you say to that person? I would say to them that there's two ways to look at burnout kind of like two ways to look at an injury. Let's say you have a problem with your knee and you have knee pain and someone says, oh, how do you treat the knee pain? Most doctors would say, take this medicine, uh, take these painkillers, maybe get surgery, you know, very after the fact type treatment. Some smarter doctors, in my opinion, would say, well, what caused it? How can we change your walking patterns, your running habits, your, your, preventative physical therapy activity that you're doing on the muscles around your knee to make sure that these types of injuries don't happen. And I would say the same thing with burnout. We can look at after the fact and say, okay, you have anxiety, you have mild depression, you are, uh, have chronic fatigue. And so how do you solve that? You, we sleep more, we drink more water. We try to set better boundaries with work. We do all these different things after the fact, but coming into 2022, I'd say, Hey, Adam, you feel burnt out. Let's not just sleep it off and, you know, take a couple of days of rest, but let's look at what really caused that burnout to occur. When did you say yes? When you should have said no, when did you prioritize another person when you should have prioritized yourself? What hard decisions did you go in the direction where you thought you were being caring and loving, but you were too much sacrificing yourself and your needs or where is there some feelings where I'm not enough? And then you took steps to do too much to try to prove yourself when that wasn't necessary. And, and also with my burnout, for example, sometimes I work too much because I have this fear that I'm not going to make enough money. 
So then I grind excessively hard with a lack of trust. And so my burnout can be correlated to a lack of trust and surrender and abundance mindset and letting this process unfold and trying to control it all myself. And this is probably going off on a little bit of a tangent, but something you said like really struck me when you were talking about um, choosing somebody else at the expense of yourself causing burnout. What happens if you're in that situation and the anxiety of choosing yourself and foregoing, putting all your energy in that in that other person or that other event or anything under the sun, right? What happens if the anxiety of choosing yourself and not the other thing is just as bad as just going ahead and not taking care of yourself and taking care of somebody else? Yeah. It's you see what I'm getting at? A, yeah, of course. It's a good question. The answer is there's a permanent cure for the anxiety. There's no permanent cure for ongoing chronic burnout. So you can either continue to, it's like continuing to drive your car over that thing at the airport where it says, don't reverse. And if you do all your tires go flat. <laughs> so you can continue to get burnt out and then we continue to have to replace all your tires constantly. Or one time you learn a new way to drive and then you never have the flat tire again. Yeah. And so the situation that you're talking about is challenging. I'm not denying that, but what I'm also saying is, there is a way to learn how to handle that situation differently. And yes, that you will be presented with short-term anxiety, especially the first time you try to do it. But having a coach, a support system, people in your life who can talk you through it, uh, supportive people and practices to release that anxiety that first few times that you do set those boundaries, it's going to be painful, but you're also going to grow. Yeah. So it's like you pick your poison but one poison is chronic and one is like, you know, you take a hit, you're knocked off for a couple of days, but then you develop immunity. Yeah. Like you develop immunity to that anxiety. You develop more strength and the anxiety doesn't affect you as much. And you learn how to surrender the anxiety. And there's all different practices that you can implement to handle that anxiety. And then you're over that hump. And then next time you get called into a situation, you say, look, I can come on Monday but the rest of the week I need to take care of myself and you do it and it's fair and it's helpful for them and it's helpful for you. Yep. Or you continue to do what you've been doing and then you have the constant, it's just a hamster wheel of never ending <laughs> burnout forever. <It's> misery. <laughs> but the crazy thing too, is that people, you know, they'll pick the never ending misery at the expense of short-term pain and long-term gain because there's unknown involved, there's risk, there's uncertainty. There's well, fear. I think it's, I think it's that they do that because they're afraid of disappointing somebody or disappointing that person that they're foregoing their needs for. Right. Yeah. But uh, anyone who's healthy, you can say to that person, look, I just want to be honest with you. I really want to be here for you all week. Take care of you. But I've been noticing that by doing this every week or every other week, I'm really starting to feel burnt out. I'm not sleeping well. It's impacting my job. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to let you know where I'm at and come up with an agreement where we can compromise and we can find a way that I can be supportive to you in a way that's not 
self-harming or destructive for me because i don't think you want me to be that way right yeah no that's that's really helpful and it's hard because like you need someone else to tell you that because it's hard for you to kind of come up with that on your own when you're on that hamster wheel right it's like you need that third party to step in and be like hey like there's another way to think about this there's another way to tackle this because if you keep going on that wheel over and over and over again there's really no off button until someone kind of shocks you into uh into some different stream of consciousness right totally and that's why i have numerous mentors and coaches it says in the bible something about successful people have many advisors or many mentors and i do that too where i have a lot of people and there are moments where i'm sitting here and i'm in a situation and i'm trying to figure out what to do and i'm like dude i'm a coach when someone comes to me with their problems i immediately see the answer why can i not see it right here for me and there's just something about being too close to it or it being you and having your own personal and emotional attachment connection. But then I'll invite one of my top mentors in and they immediately diagnose it and they give me their advice on how to handle it. So, oh yeah, I'm a huge fan. And that's part of why I like to coach coaches is because let's get more people supported out there. That's awesome. Uh, that's really good advice. Yeah, dude. I'm glad we got to do a, a round two on imposter. I mean, again, just to summarize, I think it's, imposter syndrome coming from a, you know, lack of self-confidence and self-worth and burnout, I think being triggered by imposter syndrome and perfectionism. Yeah. Maybe lack of boundaries. I'm just doing everything. That's a big one. Probably can't set boundaries. So I do everything and then I get burnt out. And the fear of disappointing somebody, the fear of disappointment, right? Feel yeah, like people pleasing. You have to be all things to all people right? Everybody but yourself. Oh my God. Yeah. I used to be a huge pleaser. Yeah. Oh, what else, dude? <laughs> Not too much. How's California? Oh man. It is November 28th right now. I surfed yesterday. I surfed Friday and I surfed Thursday and it was seventies and sunny every day. Wow. Really catching those waves out there. <laughs> not yesterday <laughs> got a few that's awesome so when are you moving to texas like everybody else in california it's so funny when i moved out here i was one of the few people moving in everyone was leaving <laughs> i had no idea is it because of the politics or the the taxes i think it's like inflation it's like the uh the covid lockdowns were like severe um mostly due to inflation also like the homelessness crisis is getting really bad it's always it's always been bad but it's really bad what's going on um, in new york is, is everything crime. open yeah no everything's open everything's uh everything's open we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks with this uh omicron mm. that's kind of that's kind of scary i gotta go to the office tomorrow so uh, don't be really. getting no omicron man i know i gotta go on the subway with all those icky people all those they got the the regular covid the, the delta covid the omicron <laughs> covid yeah i mean it's it's kind of overwhelming i saw like today the um um what's the uh the moderna the moderna people were saying like 
it's going to it's going to seem like every time there's a new variant they're going to have to have a new vaccine because like the it's not like one vaccine that covers all these friggin variants like oh they're gonna have, you're going to have to get a new vaccine for every like significant variant so well, well let's uh let's end this show before i lose all my audience to uh <laughs> i got vaxxers anti-vaxxers oh no i don't want to become the next joe rogan where i uh yeah what, what how did we turn this into like no, it's my fault i was asking about new york <laughs> but uh yeah no I, I i don't get into that stuff that's not my thing yeah same dude uh this is good imposter syndrome burnout i mean i'll just summarize try to share vulnerably Imposter syndrome is definitely something that I've felt. I don't know how much it's an issue anymore, but I'm definitely, burnout's definitely something in my life for sure. And part of it, I think the biggest burnout thing for me is a lack of contentment with where I'm at. Like there's a difference between being driven and ambitious and being impatient and too critical or too perfectionist. And I think that's where I have an issue drawing the line of, celebrating wins, pausing, trusting future growth and trying to control and do it all myself leading to excessive work and leading to burnout. Yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll raise two hands here too. I, I definitely, you know, like I said, have struggled in the past with imposter syndrome and, you know, continue to struggle with it in, in some shape or form, um, you know, not to the extent that I used to, but definitely something that you know is in the back of my mind um a lot um and in terms of burnout i, I don't i don't think i really deal with it too much on the on the career and, and workplace side but I, I i'm definitely feeling that um in other parts of my life so yeah i think a lot of the strategies that you uh that you mentioned and kind of talk through for the audience will, will definitely help me. And I hope it helped, you know, other people out there listening to this. Yeah. It's, it's learning to reconcile a challenging situation and being able to go to people you love and telling them what you're not able to be there for them about, because it's going to just cause you more harm. It's, it's a win lose and you want to look for the win wins. Yeah. So hundred percent. All right, dude. Well, thanks again, Adam Pollock, coming on to talk about imposter syndrome, burnout, and why nobody likes the Joe Rogan show anymore. I'm just Dude, you're a star. You're a star. You're the next, you're top 100 over here. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> All right, dude, let me roll the outro. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming, Adam. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.